Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Examiner Sports Podcast and an action-packed program for you this week. Let battle commence, Dermot O'Flynn, on Sunday's All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship Final. And come on, you boys in green. Lee Mackey looks ahead to Ireland's crucial World Cup qualifier against Sweden on Friday night. <whistles> the countdown is almost over to the biggest day of the hurling season as Clare and Cork face off in Sunday's All-Ireland Final. Dermot O'Flynn will be amongst the uh, 82,000 crowd at GA headquarters. And uh, Dermot, I'm sure like the rest of the country, counting down the hours, minutes and seconds. Oh, really looking forward to this one, Colm. I mean, you know, no no disrespect to um, to Kenny Tipperary or even Galway last year, like over the last few years, but, you know, it had all become a bit stale. I mean, I think people were tired of seeing the same old faces and reading about the same old guys and the same old quotes. So, you know, to have something like this, as surprising as this, especially, you know, I think where, where Clare are concerned, even though I'd have to say I, I would have thought that Clare would have been there before Cork, but, you know, the, the fact that we have two fresh teams in there, it's absolutely fantastic. And the hurling depth playing as well across has it though been a vintage hurling year I, I wouldn't say a vintage hurling year no I mean you know I, I don't know if we've even had one absolutely stunning classic of a game you know in the sense that we had them between Cork and Waterford going back you know in the last decade and like so many games that Kilkenny were involved in as well in the last so many exhibition games if you like but still you know absolutely fantastic hurling but it's, it's been the competition Column, I think you know the fact that um, that uh, without a question, um, Kilkenny have come back to the pack. But also, I think like that, so many other teams have kind of taken a, le- a leap forward, including the two teams who are playing on Sunday. And I think that's been this. You know that you've had such great competition, such great matches, as opposed to such great holding. How much of it comes down to the two men in charge? Oh, a huge amount, I think. You know, I mean, Jimmy Barry Murphy, I think, in the last year, I think he's surprised an awful lot of people. Maybe he's even surprised himself a little bit, I don't know, because, um, like, speaking to him during the week, I don't think that they expected to be in an All-Ireland final this soon. You know, I mean, I, I think he knew, like an awful lot of us did, you know, that there was... Um, real talent in Cork, despite the fact that, that they haven't been winning minor and under 21 won, um, titles in the last few years. But I think something that has emerged, you know, in our um, interviews with players from a lot of teams, like in, the, in this year, is that the fifth given is actually taking on huge significance in the last five or six years, um, possibly even more so than the under 21. Certainly, I think more so than the minor. And like the Cork teams and Cork players have been doing very well in that. And I think Jimmy Barry was, you know, he was aware that this, this talent was there, but I don't know if he expected it, you know, that they come through this soon. But what he's doing, Colm, and this is the secret, I think, of, of Jimmy Barry Murphy, like, it's his man management, you know, He's letting them play. I mean, these guys are playing with a freedom and with a dash that we've always associated with cock pulling, you know, and like that's, I think that has been fantastic to see. And then with Claire, I think, um, you know, it's a bit more structured, you know, but I think that Davy, you know, the first thing that he did, I mean, they went through three awful years, I think nine, 10, 11. And the first thing he did was he steadied the ship there. 
he got them back, you know, into into kind of being a competitive team again. Almost Donegal, like in a way, but not quite as bad, you know, that they became a more difficult team to beat. But he now has them as well, you know, playing with, I think, with a freedom and an abandon. And I think, you know, an awful lot of that maybe has to do with the age profile of the players as well. I mean, you know, you're not going to corral those kind of players. But I think huge, definitely, I think the two managers have been hugely significant this year. Uh, in earlier stages of of the championship, Dermot uh, Clare came in for a lot of criticism for that that short passing game and and that defensive setup. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, you know, like uh, I've always been um, a, a supporter, and even going back to the Cork days and the Newton Shandrum days before that, you know, of intelligent use of the ball. And I think that this is what Clare were trying to do rather than strictly, you know, play a short passing game. I think that what they were trying to do was to, you know, to use the ball intelligently that, you know, when you win it, you don't give it away cheaply. But I think that, um, you know, it takes time to bed that in. And I think that um, maybe in the beginning as well, you know, they were overdoing it in in defence a little bit. They were taking too many risks, too many chances in defence. And when it breaks down, it does look very bad. There's no question at all about that. It does look very bad. And you can hear the traditionalists, you know, shouting from the Mm. sideline, like just you know, belt it up the field, like give it, make it fifty-fifty. Get the lads up there to play for it. But like you see, Clare don't have the likes of the Martin Comerfords and the, uh, you know, and 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 the Aidan Fogarty's and these big strong men up there, like that can win their own ball and well, do da- what da- they need to do. Da- Dara Conan would be would be one of the he, bigger men out there, wouldn't he? The one guy, yeah, and he can. And like Derek is this kind of guy that you know, I think you can give it any way you like to Dara Conan, which is why I think that's when they play the two men inside line that he is so dangerous like that you know if you're under pressure you can just lorry it up there but if you know and, and he, he's quite capable of winning and bringing it down because his, his mm. touch and his control is sublime but he's also you see so capable of winning the ball in coming in low from him and I think he actually prefers it like that and then like when he has a bit of space the guy, the guy has pace I mean he's got a, a stride on him you know that's just unbelievable so I think the fact they were doing was they were trying to develop um, a, a game that was suitable to them and I I think that over the qualifiers, especially, it probably suits them maybe to lose the cock and go through the qualifiers because they've managed to, I think, um, to hone that game. Um, they don't have a quite perfect gift, but they're really playing it an awful lot better than they were playing it earlier on in the year. Okay, well, that leads me perfectly into the next question, dear Claire, uh, famously in, in 1997, and, and you can correct me, I think that was the first year of the backdoor beat mm-hmm. Tipperary, their greatest rivals in the Munster Championship down here in Cork, and then famously with the Davy Fitz wonder save from John Lahey in the final minutes of an All-Ireland went on to capture Liam McCarthy in 1997. The fact that you're playing a team for the second time in the Championship, where does the advantage lie? Well, you know, I, I actually did a piece on that for the examiner during the week and went back through the records and funnily enough like there is no pattern because in 97 yes you know um, Clare and that was the first year and you know Clare and Tipperary you had the repeat of the Munster final and actually it wasn't that I mean Davy has made some wonder saves for Clare down the years no doubt about it but that wasn't actually one of them I think it was a kind of a weak shot by John Lahey you know that maybe you know he could have scored it and they could have won it but Clare, Clare did manage to win it for a second time but the following year you had the repeat of the Leinster final, where, you know, um, Kilkenny, who had hockeyed awfully in the final, met awfully again in the, fi- the All-Ireland final, and this time it went the other way, awfully beat um, Kilkenny, the famous day of Brian Whelan going up full forward, I think he scored 1-7 or 1-8 from full forward, but... Um, 
since then, last year, you had Indiala and fine, you had Kilkenny, you know, coming, reversing the Leinster final decision. But in the meantime, you had several occasions like where, you know, teams won twice, Cork won twice in 2005 against Walford, who were the, kind of the bogey team at the time, so they've been in this situation before. Um, Walford actually, you know, beat Tipperary, lost to Tipperary, sorry, beat Tipperary in Munster, then lost to them in Indiala Island. So, you know, it's, there's no pattern, um, really, Colm, and I think, you know, really, I think when these teams, you know, go down that tunnel on Sunday and head out onto the field, anything that has happened before this year, I mean, this is actually their fifth meeting, but anything that has happened before this year, I, I don't think is going to matter with it. Okay. You know, even the, the talk like about Brian Murphy, like going on Tony Kelly again, as he did in the Munster Championship, you know, I can't see that happening because Tony Kelly is no longer playing in the forwards. He's now playing midfield for, for Cairn Heston for the last couple of games. So, no, I don't think anything that happened before is going to have any bearing on what happens on Sunday. I don't know, great minds... Uh... And and all of that sort of stuff. I was just about to ask you the entire debate about Brian Murphy. The team been picked, of course, on on Thursday night. Uh, Brian, that that serious uh, shoulder injury. I think you were actually there uh, at the was, uh, yeah. uh, at the, the night of the club championship game. Uh, it looked like his season was over. Then he went over to some medical experts in England, and mm. he is in contention. What's your feeling? Do do you start him? Do you keep him as an impact sub? Do you keep the likes of? Tom Kenny that has experience of All Ireland final day as 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 part of your starting team and stick with the side that won the semi final. Well, you know it's a luxury I think that um, that Jimmy Barry Murphy has now, and it is a luxury. I mean to have somebody like Brian Murphy coming back, you know, fully fit onto the team. I mean it gives you great options. Um, I I don't know if I I mean I think if I were if I were in Jimmy Barry Murphy's position, I don't think I'd be um, I I don't think I'd do anything with the team at this stage. You know they've gotten there. Um, I think that they've been playing well, including the half-back line has been playing well. I don't think I'd fiddle with it. But if he does, you know, he's not going to weaken that team, that's for sure. I mean, but Brian Murphy, to have Brian Murphy as a guy ready to come on, I think it gives you so many cards to play because the guy can cover any position. He can cover any position in the full-back line, on the half-back line. He can even play midfield because I've seen him playing there for Brian Rovers. I mean, he's a consummate holder. So, you know, he could come on anywhere. I think I'd be inclined to keep him in reserve. And certainly I wouldn't be coming, bringing him on like just to do a job on Tony Kelly again because I think that's gone. I think that's, you know, Cock have their midfield set. Care have their midfield set. I'd let, the, I'd let those four at it and see which pair comes out on top. What about the entire issue of a sweeper from uh, a Cork perspective? Claire, well known for playing a, a seven-man uh, defence, pulling back and protecting their full back line. What's your take on Cork doing likewise? Well, I think that um, like Cork aren't actually going to do likewise. I think it's you know Claire will Claire will play the sweeper. I, I don't. There's any. Absolutely need doubt at all about that. I think Conor Ryan will be centre back again. I think Patrick Donnell will be playing as a sweeper just in behind the half tackling. What you're going to have in Cork then is, you know, because um, they, they have pulled the extra man out of the forward line, they're only playing five up front, it's going to leave Cork with an extra man as opposed to, you know, playing a sweeper. And I think that, um, and, and I think that Cork will have that extra man in, in Conor O'Sullivan. He's done a fantastic job so far in the couple of games where he has been an extra man. I think that Clare, I think it will be a mistake by clear that you know but uh, I think we play into Cork's hands because Conor O'Sullivan is such a good player and I think that you know Cork have had time to work on this and I think if they can bypass Patrick Donnell which I think they'll be trying to do either by playing the flanks or by shooting from long distance I think that you know that move could actually play into Cork's hands but like Conor O'Sullivan I think is a super player to have back there what a reader of a game uh, looking through a lot of the expert views as well during the week in the examiner, Dermot, a lot of them saying it could actually just come down to a battle of the free takers 
is that too simplistic? Well, I, I, I think if it does come down to a battle of the free takers, you know, then I think it's going to be a draw. <laughs> like these two guys are just absolutely. I mean, they've been on fire this year, both. I mean, they have missed one or two, but not a lot. And I don't think I don't think they're going to be missing on Sunday either. I think I, I actually, Colm, I think that this is just going to come down to look face. You know, I mean, I was doing the, the Legends piece, funnily enough, with um, with um, Ollie Baker and Fergal Ryan um, this week, and that's exactly what they've been talking about. And they went back through, you know, instances over the last fifteen years and interesting teams that they were playing on, you know, where a single instance can change not just the game, but actually can change history, can change whole years. You know, and I think it can come down to that because these teams are so little between them. They're so well matched in every facet of the game. You know, I think it's just going to come down to the breaks and the maybe a mistake. You don't know, but um, but the free takers, no, I think, mm. like, I think you've got two very good free takers. And I think that, you know, I don't think that either one of those is going to make a mistake. And uh, uh, what about that issue? I mentioned Tom Kinney there a little earlier of having had... All Ireland final day experience. I know Jimmy Barry and Davy as players have enjoyed success on All Ireland final days. Jimmy, of course, had the 1999 win uh, as a manager. But uh, how do you take that across to the players? Again, I don't think it's going to be a factor, Colm. You know, I think that um, yeah, you have you have um, you know Brian Murphy and Tom Kenny who have all other medals already. But funnily enough, you know, I think that what you actually find a lot of the time with the older guys is, and and I've found this time and again interviewing guys, the older they get actually, and the nearer they come to the end of their careers, the more nervous they get. Mm. It's the younger guys going out there, like who just play with an abandon and a freedom, and like you know, even if you look back to you're talking about '99 when Jimmy managed the team, that's actually believe it or not, the, it was the youngest team ever to win in all Ireland. Their average age was just over 22. Just over 20. Just think about that, you know. I mean, they went out there and they played Kilkenny in the final. You know, a game that they were not expected to win. And I think, I don't think it's going to be any factor. In fact, if you look at this a little bit closer, um, the advantage maybe rests with clear because They've had so many guys winning big games, you know, most of the championships and All Ireland under 21s in the last few years. So they actually have more um, more experience of you know that pressure type situation on All Ireland finally and coming through the other side of it. So I think that if anything, I think the advantage is slightly with clear on that. Okay, I'm going to ask you to keep your uh, prediction for Saturday's uh, Irish Examiner, and it's a it's a bumper one on on Saturday, about 16 pages on the uh, big match. Uh, finally, like. Uh, Everyone talking about the classic that was Kerry and Dublin in the football last weekend. Are you hopeful that we're going to have a free-flowing game of hurling or is it going to be a tactical masterclass? Oh, I think it will be free-flowing. I mean, there will be tactics in this. There have always... Let nobody fool you, Colin. Like, there have always been tactics in hurling. You know, and I, I, like you could go back to 1986 and Johnny Crowley when he was man of the match against Galway, you know, um, so Fowles tried that, you know, again, the sweeper tactic, you know, out there, the extra midfielder, I think it was for, for Galway that year, but, you know, not, I mean, you, you know, this notion somehow that holding was always just, you know, throw the ball up and the fellas belting it up and down the field with no, no um, regard at all to where it was going off, you know, where the strong points in the opposition were. It's always nonsense. I mean, players have always tried to bypass the strong areas of opposition and the or areas in the opposition um, defence and always tried to take advantage of where they're strongest. And you're going to have that again on Sunday. But I do think it's going to be free-flowing. And I do think, I mean, I'm not just hoping for it, I do think it's going to be a fantastic game of holding. You know, and like you were talking about that football, that football was so good last Sunday. I think it was almost like a game of holding. <laughs> 
the Republic of Ireland face Sweden on Friday night and yet again it's a crucial game for Giovanni Trapattoni and his uh, side Liam Mackey will be in the Aviva Stadium on uh, Friday night uh, Liam is it is it just me or is it because of the transfer deadline closing the drama that we had so late on Monday night and into Tuesday the All-Ireland uh, hurling final as well that the soccer has has slipped a bit down the pecking order well, I think, yeah, only only to the extent that the transfer window has become such a TV monster that it kind of devours everything around it in football. And obviously, as you say, you know, big uh, Gaelic football semi last weekend that people are still feeling the afterglow from the hurling to come. But I think you'd be pretty sure that over the next 24, 48 hours, mm. uh, it'll all crank up in anticipation of, I mean, what is, after all, a really crucial. I know we tend to use cliches like crunch and all that, but we're coming to the business end of qualification for the World Cup. And, uh, you know, if Ireland didn't win, it wouldn't be over because there's still too many games to play. Um, I'd also draw people's attention to the fact that Austria have to go to Munich on Friday night, which is a huge game against Germany. But uh, clearly, if Ireland are to reach their target from the two upcoming games, Sweden at home, Austria away, and the target they've set is four, in an ideal world, six, but realistically they're looking at four, then I think the belief is that, yes, they, they need to get the victory uh, against Sweden on Friday. OK, just to go back there to the transfer issue, James McCarthy making uh, headlines uh, for all the right reasons, uh, £14 million deal uh, off to uh, Everton. It, do, does that, you think, kind of bring a bit of a feel-good factor, not just for the player himself, but to the squad in general? Yeah, I think it does. I suppose it's offset somewhat by the rather more frustrating experience that Shane Long had of transfer deadline day. If you consider the two guys were flying back in from England on Tuesday morning, bright and early to go straight, more or less straight to the training pitch. So uh, there would have been mixed feelings given their wildly different experiences of the of the transfer day. For James McCarthy, certainly, I think a real deep sense of pleasure all around that the deal that's been moved for so long has finally happened. I mean, uh, he's been linked with so many clubs in the Premiership. He's gone to Everton. The very good thing from his point of view are, obviously, they're a very well-established club. Um, if not a top four club over recent seasons, but they have Roberto Martinez, who he knows so well from his days at Wigan, who he rates very highly, who develops the player. Um, so it looks like a really, it is a really good move for, for James McCarthy. It would have been terrible for him and not good for Irish football if, with all due respect to Wigan, he'd had another season uh, scrapping in the championship. So that's the good news. The bad news is Shane Longman was sent off in a wild goose chase. Now, Mixed reports as to exactly what happened. I mean, he's, he's, he is highly regarded at West Brom, and Steve Clark, the manager, does rate him. But clearly, when Hull came in with their surprise bid, um, on the basis that West Brom were trying to increase their own strike force, um, then they were willing to let him go. So it has left him in a kind of a limbo, because the deal broke down when West Brom didn't bring in all the players they wanted. So from Long's point of view, you can imagine he's where his head is at. Um, Steve Bruce wanted him, and he didn't end up at Hull. And West Brom, do they want them as much as they did before the transfer window? There's huge competition for places in, in the strike force at the Hawthorns now. So not a good day for him. And if Long starts on Friday, as it appears he will, alongside Robbie Keane, it's very important that he's in good shape mentally, physically, and in every other way. Now, he's a level-headed fella, and I think playing for Ireland is such a big thing for him. 
that it may actually rebound in his favour and that he'll he'll give everything to prove he's the player that many people know him to be really positive force up front. The big, big issue, irrespective of what has happened this week for Shane Long, is that he hasn't really scored the goals for Ireland. One competitive goal, it's hard to believe, and that was in the 3-2 defeat to Russia, his only goal in a competitive international. Obviously, he got that great header against England at Wembley, which showed what, exactly what he can do. And he brings an awful lot else to the, to the forward line as well, but his runs out wide, his pace, his heading ability. But Ireland... You know, need goals against Sweden. Now, Robbie Keane is aiming at 60, and he's our most reliable goal-getter, so he'll definitely be there. But it would be it would be huge for Shane Long, given the week he's had, and it would be huge for Ireland if Long could double, at the very least, his international competitive goal tally against Sweden. OK, now, uh, you mentioned Robbie Keane there, and I, th- I think it was one of your pieces during the week, Liam. Uh, it was either Trap or Tardelli talking about Robbie and... Uh, this suggestion that he's almost stronger and fitter looking now after uh, the recent time in the States? Well, you know, he's, he's had a whole... He, he, he talked to us some months ago about the various uh, effects that a long career in professional football has had and continue to have had on his body. And he, there's various niggles and aches and pains and things that he's playing with um, which just comes from somebody of his longevity in the game, and for a striker in particular, you're 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 always going to be in where the knocks are, are the hardest. I, it seems to me that at LA Galaxy, he's he has found uh, really really good top class medical staff who are managing him really well in terms of protecting his body, uh, keeping him playing, and and as we saw recently from the goals he scored, certainly in the context of of the American game. Um, he's, he's, he's right up there with the best of them as a goal scorer. I, I sort of wonder as well if it hasn't been a good thing for Robbie Keane to go to a place where he's not confronted with the really intense hurly-burly of the game as he might have experienced it, say, for example, if he'd stayed in England and ended up in the championship. Uh, I mean, I recall many, many years ago talking to Kevin Moran when he went to Spain to Sporting Gijon, and Kevin maintained at the time that the different culture at that time, we're talking about the late 80s, there was also ideas of diet and various other things in, in Spanish football and continental football, which hadn't come into the, the English game, the Irish game. Um, and he felt that his period in Spain, with the type of football that was played as well, probably extended his international career, extended his, his playing career by a couple of years. And it may be that something similar, albeit the standard of football is not as high in, in America as it would be in Spain or even back then, Something similar may have happened with Robbie. Whatever the, the, the root cause of it, uh, he's clearly in tip-top condition. Um, and as we saw against the Faroe Islands when, uh, when he got the, the, the goals that took him to 59, he is still absolutely key to Ireland. Now, against Sweden, playing at home, when you would think we'd be a tad more adventurous, you would also hope that would mean more service for him. And as I say, he's won one short of the 60, and without a shadow of a doubt, Trapattoni has been saying it for a long, long time. Other people have questioned Robbie Keane wrongly, in my opinion. Uh, I think we absolutely, and Ireland absolutely, have to have him on the pitch uh, on Friday night for a game, which, if it is indeed a must-win, then automatically means Ireland must score goals. But is, is that a worrying thing, though, that we are still so reliant on Robbie? Well, do you know what? It'd be more worrying if we didn't have a player who was one <laughs> short of 60. I mean, you can, you can look at it as positive or as a negative. I mean, it is 
worrying that we rely on his goals to the extent that we do. And it's been a bugbear of Trapattoni's, and it's pretty obvious to everybody else that the other attacking players that he has used, um, particularly out wide, haven't come up with the goals. And that on a regular basis. And that, and that brings us to another big issue and maybe the biggest talking point going into Friday's game, which is how do you solve a problem like the absence of Aidan McGeady? Um, now, I don't think Trapattoni and Marco Tardelli have actually made a final decision on this yet. Anthony Pilkington is in the squad for the first time. Um, he's had, as he explained to us earlier in this week, recurring problems with tendonitis in his knee, and that's been the main reason why he's had to pull out of, or had to pull out of five successive Irish squads, which of course, for a lot of people, had raised doubts about his commitment, but no, he seems wholly committed to the cause, and, and just needs to get a break in terms of these injuries that have been bothering him. Now, the question is, would Trapattoni, who rates him highly, take a chance and put Anthony Pilkington who hasn't played much football, 70 minutes in two months, I think, would he put him straight into a World Cup qualifier of this magnitude? And the answer is possibly yes. And I only say possibly because we have to wait to see if Trapp makes that call. But he certainly did something not dissimilar. If you recall, back in World Cup qualifying for um, in 2009, when uh, he put Sean St. Ledger, who'd only one friendly game under his belt a week earlier in London against Nigeria, he threw him straight in as a centre-half away to Bulgaria and Sofia, a really high-stakes game, which Ireland came away from with, with a point that was vital. So he has form in giving people a chance that he really believes can do it in, if you like, dropping them in at the deep end, giving them a baptism of fire, I think the big question mark around Pilkington is he's only had a week with the Irish squad to train, and even within that it's been somewhat restricted because he has to follow this this program that he now adopts at Norwich to, to manage the tendonitis. So I think it could go to the wire, this one, the decision on who plays on the left flank. Uh, Simon Cox has entered the frame. Marco Giardelli was talking him up today. Personally, if it wasn't Pilkington, I would think he should go with James McLean, but there's a sense in which Trapattoni is still not entirely convinced with the Wigan man. Mention there, uh, Liam, uh, quickly of injuries. Uh, Richard Dunn? Richard Dunn is looking really good. I mean, this is this is before a ball is kicked in, in the game, this is the great good news story of, of, of this, uh, of the build-up to these World Cup qualifiers. I mean, Richard Dunn is now in line to play his first competitive game for Ireland since the match against Italy at the end of Euro 2012. And I really think just a couple of months ago, or even a few weeks ago, I think a lot of people would have thought we'd sadly seen the last of Richard Dunn in the green shirt, that after almost a year out of the game, three operations, the hugely difficult and complicated groin and and, uh, hip problems that he had, and given his age and given how much he's put in over the years, you know, there had to be a real doubt that this fella could come back. But my golly, some warrior, as we saw in, in, in Russia uh, on that famous night in the Luzhniki Stadium, which incidentally, Friday will be two years to the very night that he performed his heroics to get that nil-nil draw. It looks like he's absolutely certain to start, barring some setback and that's, you know, touch wood and cross fingers and toes. It looks he's absolutely certain to start. And, and in fact, the only issue now is, will he actually be fit enough to even start the game against Austria? And I think they're going to make that decision over the weekend when they see how he goes against Sweden. But he's definitely back and he's definitely in. OK. Uh, finally, Liam, uh, 
is you know are we back into the the entire issue of traps head on a plate and all of that the, the next four or five days I think with every qualifying game uh, going back almost to the start of this campaign going back even to the Euros I think uh, trap traps been walking the line ever since um, you know if Ireland were to lose against Sweden it'd be really really hard to see how they could claim second place if they get a point then it keeps the pressure on them going to Vienna to try to get three um, if it goes completely pear-shaped in these two games then uh, it, I think it's, it's, it's done and dusted you know he may possibly stay on almost as a lame, lame duck manager because there's only two games left to go um, that remains to be seen but effectively his, his, his tenure as Irish manager would, would end with this qualification campaign the only thing I would say about these two games and, and the importance, the obvious importance people attach to them is that they, they can't be seen in isolation within the group there are other big games on Friday night and indeed to come in October for example Austria have to go to Germany on Friday night they play in Munich which is a huge game and I would just remind people that two years ago uh, I was looking up the clippings the other day and we were all the journalists, the pundits, the supporters we were all saying the same thing when Ireland was going into the game against Slovakia and Russia, we needed four points minimum to, to you know, maintain the, the, the push for, uh, for the Euros. And what happened, Ireland drew nil-nil with Slovakia, dropped points at home, it was all doom and gloom, went to Russia, that is a game I mentioned earlier, the Richard Dunn heroics, managed somehow to come away with, with a draw there. So they ended up with only two points rather than the four that people had said was the minimum. And yes, because in one of the other group games on the night that Ireland played in Russia, Armenia ran right against Slovakia, that effectively turned the group on its head and reopened the route second place for Ireland so there's a bit of football to be played but in terms of what Ireland can do and what Ireland needs to do you would have to think they've got to go out against Sweden a defeat unthinkable a draw would put pressure on them but a win and then they could maybe be looking to go to Austria in, in, in really good spirits and who knows maybe even in better spirits if, if Austria come a cropper in Germany and Munich and that's it from the Irish Examiner Sports Podcast. My thanks to our guests this week, to the Irish Examiners, Dermot O'Flynn and to Liam Mackey. We're back again, same time, same place next week. And don't forget to check in with us each weekday in the Irish Examiner. Uh, bumper sports section on Saturday and Monday with uh, all the analysis and reaction from the Republic of Ireland's game on Friday night against Sweden. Looking ahead to the All-Ireland Final, of course, on uh, Saturday supplement. And then on Monday, uh, 40-page sports section, uh, looking back on the weekend's action, the game in Crow Park. And, of course, looking ahead to the Republic's game against Austria on Tuesday night. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.